0: Hello there everybody, my name is Sophie Aldred, and I had the enormously great pleasure of playing the character of Ace in Doctor Who. And I would like to just remind you that you are listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. It's not private, it's public. And it means that you, the public, can listen to this Gallifrey Public Radio and I'm very honoured to be on it and interviewed by it. So I hope you really enjoy the interview with me and all the other amazing stuff that they put out. And thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting Doctor Who all these years and for all this time. Because without you, Doctor Who wouldn't be the show it is today.
1: This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up.
2: Welcome to episode 460 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we knew that laser tag fad was going to be dangerous to somebody sometime, so if it's all the same to you, we're just going to stick with nerf battles. I'm Haley.
1: I'm Jay. I'm Julie. And I'm Kier. This week, Luke and Clyde get caught up in a military recruitment scheme of sorts when the alien Kudlack uses a game center to identify teenagers with potential soldiering skills in Warriors of Kudlack.
2: Kids across the UK are going missing after visiting laser tag arenas, and it takes the keen skills of Sarah Jane and the determination of Maria to dig deeper.
0: It appears that a a human lackey, Mr. Grantham, is helping the alien General Cudlack to find new warriors for an age-old battle, and finding kids that are uh, adept at the simulation games proves well to, to find candidates for the mistress's army.
3: The situation intensifies when Clyde and Luke get taken, and find themselves transported to a ship in orbit thousands of miles above the Earth, apparently about to be sent on with other teens to the front lines of a distant war.
1: By forcing compliance from Grantham, Sarah Jane and Maria get onto the ship, and Luke's tech-savvy discovers a rather interesting buried secret about the war that the Uvodni have been embroiled in for so long.
0: My mistress is dead, and I have committed an unforgivable crime against your world. You are free, and my life is yours to take.
3: Taking life is never the answer, General Kudlak. Whether we've been wronged by one man or a whole planet, it's always the innocents that suffer.
0: I am not an innocent, but maybe I can find some of those that were. The ones I sent far away, and that still survive. Perhaps I can return them, and one day find some peace for myself.
3: I hope you can, General Kudlak.
0: It is my duty.
2: (laughs) The backdrop of laser tag games does date the story a little bit, but for the time, the activity was hugely popular, especially in the UK, where alternatives like paintball weren't as prevalent. It seems like the show really knew how to identify the audience's interests and tie it quickly into the Alien of the Week adventure.
1: I kind of wondered whether this was something that started with the idea of the laser tag fad and built around that, or whether it was the idea of using kids as soldiers and then fit the laser tag theme in because it seemed like such a nice dovetail.
3: I I think that it could go either way. And it might even be something that kind of went together, just to say, like, how would you get kids in to some kind of game like that and, mm. and how would you choose the the ones who would be strong with that right i think you probably would have
2: started with laser tag because at the time this was also around the time where you know the violence in video games training kids for war was coming up a lot too like we've mm-hmm. got this children's pastime that is kind of training them for war and I, I i can see how the story could come from somebody looking at it that way
1: I'm trying to remember. I think it was right around this time too. Well, maybe, maybe around this time, maybe preceding it a bit, that the whole idea of of drone warf, warfare was was really um, steeped in in a lot of uh, uh, popular television culture and things too, as far as storylines and, and and that concept, because it was a matter of the battlefield has now changed and that sort of thing. So yeah, it seemed like the right time to be able to utilize that kind of uh, of opportunity to say, well, you know, we're we're still embroiled in these conflicts all over the world, uh, UK, you know, certainly as much as anyone else. And while we have a sense of security and safety being threatened for various reasons, now what would happen if you were to take that one step further and have to worry about our kids being tied into it, too? It really has some some deep-rooted fears to tap into, I think.
3: Yeah. I mean, the story opens with the conversation about kids losing appearance to warfare and then closes with an extended exchange about youth and war. So is this a social statement or does it feel like it's more than that?
0: I, I think that the one of the things I like about this show is the fact that it doesn't shy away from those difficult topics. You know, we've, we've seen that a couple of times where it's like we, we all kind of sit there like, wow, they're they're putting this in a kid show. All right, let's let's go. And this one just right out of the gate kind of starts with that, you know. And you you have the mother who is like just absolutely terrified because her child is is missing, you know. And, and they did not like water down those emotions in that scene either. It was pretty. It, it was pretty intense for what it was. Right, especially like
1: as you were saying, Jay. Like it was it was the story just prior where we got a, a, a far more. Uh, a, a deeper or or more multifaceted conversation about the impact of divorce on the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we got uh, a little bit even in, in the story prior to that. I think it was maybe only the pilot that, that sort of kept it a little, little <laughs> pun unintended. This sort of kid gloves uh, approach to it because they just wanted to get the baseline going right, get the get the stories out there. Um, but now, I think there's a there's a conscious effort to say, you know what? No, these are these are teens watching this. They're they're absolutely capable of being able to to not only um, think about uh, or experience witness on screen, and then have those extended conversations rationally uh, as adults uh, about anything that that sort of brings to mind or or gets them, uh, gets them feeling that they that they'd want to explore further. So, I think it's a great thing that the that the writing staff. Uh, for for these sort of stories says no, nope, we're we're leaving that in we're we're gonna we're gonna leave that as a as a as a tenet of the story because it's it's just as important as the alien of the week. So
0: Luke pretty quickly picks up anything that's that's like STEM related, but the the learning curve stays a bit more leveled out when it comes to social and behavioral cues. There's there's something to appreciate in the fact that that he doesn't suddenly become a a, a cool kid, uh, but there's there's a sign of some growth there yeah working on his jokes
3: yeah he's trying to
1: (laughs) i think we it was i think it was just in the last episode we were talking about the 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 dynamic that he and had and clyde had fallen into about that Nah, no you gotta do it more like this you gotta you know you gotta wear your pants a little saggier down (laughs) on your hips kind of thing and you gotta you know those are those wrong shoes and trying to trying to help him through this and sure, to a certain degree, it's comedic effect because you've got the straight man and the goofball. Mm-hmm. But all the same, as you said, Jay, it's the it's the the fact that it's not anything else he touches. Like he grabs a cell phone and boop 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 boop. Okay, I got control of the ship. <laughs> okay.
3: Even the game aspect of this, where it's he's like, "What do you mean? Why would you do fighting? This is war." And yeah. and he he kind of looks down on it, but then he didn't even lose half of his life points.
1: Yeah. Right, going at a very Vulcan. Yes. Uh, but the but when it comes to his desire to learn basic kind of interpersonal skills and things like that, it doesn't ramp up nearly as as exponentially. In fact, if anything, it, it's kind of still stilted. Yeah. But you
0: get those little
1: hints of the fact that okay, he's starting to get it. He's his jokes aren't horrible. His delivery <laughs> just sucks.
3: I think it's more realistic in that he's not immediately picking up social cues. It takes humans a long time to learn that as when kids are small, they, they either are very empathetic and they can answer things, but they still don't get the intricacies of, of that age. And I think Maria pointed that out and she's like, he's doing as good as the rest of us. Like how, how much would you expect him to be able to do? But it's, most people have up to that point, you know, 12 or something years um, or 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some adults who still don't always get it <laughs> when they're in ah, public, yeah. especially after they spend two years in a pandemic lockdown. I, I'm sitting right mm-hmm. here, Julie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will say I, I really appreciated the, the, uh, the fact that he felt remorse for the, the joke that he made about the kid's name, calling him corporal. Yeah. because it was like he was really broken up about that. He's like, no, I, th- I thought I did something good. Like everybody laughed. I thought that was the point. I didn't, I didn't realize somebody was going to get hurt in this. And, and it really kind of highlighted that like, yeah, jokes can be great, but not everybody. Can, it. it just kind of highlighting that for kids is fantastic. Yeah. That whole sequence actually had a lot
1: more impact than, than I felt at the, at the, at the outset. You know, if you were to look at it from a little further back, you're like, all right, some, something happens and everybody in the room blows up. Sarah Jane's getting tense and, and, and Luke gets upset and Maria's, you has know, gone off and sat in a corner and, and uh, Clyde is, is, is sort of gruff about it. No, oh, I only meant it as a joke kind of thing. And everybody's in, in these weird, like respective neutral corners for a hot second but that's pretty genuine i mean these things flare up with tweens teens young adults grown adults um within seconds if the if that trigger is hit and i think sarah jane being the one to step in and sort of give that teachable moment you know you've got to be aware that 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 oftentimes when there's that That thing that you just want to take the easy road and crack a joke about, or whatever, there's probably a lot of subtext um, that you're unaware of. I think Clyde actually dropped a line somewhere in there too about uh, a parent running off with Aunt so and so or something.
3: We did get some of his backstory. Yeah, and that was just
1: slid right in there. Um, You could have missed it. yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to to be able to unpack well, in this.
3: Well, all the important conversations happen on swings. Yes. <laughs> That's it's
1: true. It's true. Well, yeah, because you, you, the the blocking for the scene, you can't have them like standing up and say, well, I'm going to walk around the back of this swing set for a second. Let the camera follow me. No, you're just back and forth. And
3: back Bong, camera just. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's
1: I I am continually impressed with some of the little choices that are made. Um Maybe some of that lifts right out of the script, or maybe these are things that are discovered as the as the respective directors go around and find these little moments, uh, or maybe it's just the cast that is just really kind of kind of hitting it. But we're getting towards the close of the first season of this show. I think there's maybe uh the, yeah there's, there's one more story left um the the whatever happened to Sarah Jane that, that that'll be the end of of season one, mm-hmm. and we have said more times than I can probably count how we're all we're really entertained with this and we're really pleased with how quickly, right outside the pilot, it just, it gels. And it just, everything seems to be firing really, really well. Um, so how does this particular story size up against the three, and I can't believe it's only three, having these things split into the part one, part two thing makes it feel like it's a lot more content, but it's really yeah. not. Um, the the three adventures that we've had thus far, how does it rate?
0: I, I feel like this one... Maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind, but I really appreciate this one. I, I appreciate the nuance in it, the the fact that we do get some uh, some social commentary in it, the fact that the quote unquote bad guy what turns out to just be misunderstood. Like he he like at the end, he's like, "Holy crap! I have committed a horrible atrocity. You know, my life is forfeit." You know, yeah, like clearly not a a villain. Just. You know the wrong side of something under under a misunderstanding, and so it's yeah i I appreciate the 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 nuance in that the fact that the real villain was the the scumbag human because you know going back to our torchwood rewatch the uh, villain's always a human right uh, but there was just there was a lot in this one and i I think this is my favorite story so far,
1: huh,
0: okay.
3: I like the complexity of the layered who's the bad guy, like Jay's saying, but I also appreciate this episode for a lot of the additional pseudoscience that we got, which is has a lot of that Doctor Who feel for me. That's true. And uh, <laughs> I think it's really fun how they play with the building something, using it once, and then making a callback to it back mm-hmm. in the house, true. as well as some of the stuff that luke got into up on the ship i think that it uh, we got a little bit of each of those types of things in previous episodes but this one has the whole package of all of that plus the layered story Mm -hmm. so i like it a lot yeah
2: i i thought this was a really strong episode um it's hard for me to compare it against the ones that came before because they were in the before times and my memory is too (laughs) fuzzy to keep the details well enough to compare it on any sort of analytic level, but I, this was a really good story that I enjoyed watching.
1: I think I still like the preceding the the Gorgon episode a little bit better, but that's just because I think that was a really strong one for the Luke and Sarah Jane relationship in particular and a really mm-hmm. good one for Maria and her dad. Mm-hmm. And and those are aspects of this show as far as at least where we have all the pieces on the board right now, seeing those uh, those areas explored and expanded upon really, really worked for me as a viewer. I definitely do like this was a, this is a very strong Clyde episode. He was, there are times when he's, he's being the, the, the prankster and so forth, but there's times when he's genuinely dialed in and trying to do the right thing and just his varying levels of capability on that. Uh, and then he wants praise for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, That's my friend There, he's using my phone. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, all around enjoyable, uh, on par with anything else this season. I think I just like the, the the Gorgon story a little better.
3: I also like the ability to split the party in a way so mm. that you get a lot of conversation in this episode between uh, Maria and Sarah Jane, and then on the alternative between Clyde and Luke. And I think that I think we've seen them split sem- similarly in the past, but the opportunity for more dialogue in this one and more interaction with what was going on mm. was more meaningful in my mind. Sure. And I know that you liked the dynamic between Maria and her parents and then Sarah Jane and Luke, but I, I feel like we got more of an insight into what's really going on with Luke because he's being himself as a kid in this episode or right, this story. As best he can, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Sure.
3: Even the button with like, can you tell me about girls?
1: <laughs> there were like three beats where they could have gone to credits and they yeah, just kept adding on the just... little boop and a little more boop. And the only thing that's rattling through my head is watching Sarah Jane drive away from that parking space and do that weird kind of thing in the road. When there's, like, what's
3: going there's on? There's no
1: dialogue in the car <laughs> at the moment. That's just her kind lo- of... Oh, oh, let go of the wheel for a second. Sorry. It's, it's, it's been a day.
3: Yeah. But she also didn't react negatively to when he got a kiss, right? Some parents would... Start shooing that girl away or don't let me see that kind of stuff. She is learning this
1: parenting thing on the fly. (laughs) So I think she's doing an admirable job for having been a mom for all of about three weeks. It's true.
3: So many aliens in three weeks. Come on. (laughs)
0: Uh, It's just a revolving door. She's not a conspiracy theorist, you know. (laughs) I kept expecting Mr. Smith
1: to chime in in the background. (laughs) Pardon me, Sarah Jane, but you absolutely are.
3: (laughs) Can we, real quick, though, talk about how Mr. Smith is a snooty little computer box?
0: He gets sassy. He
3: (laughs) He says, it's going to be very hard for me to do this. Can you do it? Of course, yes. It'll be right (laughs) now."
1: I ask you, really?
3: He's the worst of all developers, and he's a computer. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Should have been voiced by Simon Jones. That would have been fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) don't usually have, well, this is like, you know, a a point where not a lot of news sort of comes down the pike, but when Russell T. Davies speaks, we listen, we listen. And uh, he had had a a long conversation uh, with Radio Times because they had, you know, they'd been tapping sort of essential watching series and they were talking about, it's a sin. Uh, If you haven't watched it, please go uh, absorb as much of it as you can, as quickly as you can. La, Um, (laughs) la. But uh, but of course, the, the, the topic comes up about next project. Because, I mean, the, the lid is closed when it's a sin. It is, he has told his story and he is moving on from that project. And he is, of course, right at the top of his head, he, he mentions things like, oh, out of the 34 series that I've done, 34. He just has that number just <laughs> floating around in his head. Um, but they were asking him you know, some of his rationale for, for coming back to the show. Um, and I think he gave it an, an explanation that is respectful but I don't think it really leaves a lot of area to be uh to to think, oh, he's speaking in code or or he's under an NDA or something of that sort I think I th- think it feels pretty from the
0: heart. What's I mean you've all sort of looked over the uh, his 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 statements about it. How does it strike you? I mean this is this is someone who is a fan of the show and who understands it on a level that a lot of people, could only dream of, you know, he, he really does have the love for the show that he, he puts forth. And I, I think like everything he's saying, yeah, it definitely seems from the heart. He seems like this is something he is passionate about. This is something that he loves that. I mean, it's, it's always going to be that. I want to
1: know what he means by strange and new ways of telling these stories. Um, there's a segment in the, in the interview where he says that, you know, um, you know, you do things for a while, you work on a, on a, on a a project for a while, you know, you either, you tell your story or it has its own personal style, um, you know, and, and it, and it reaches its conclusion and, and you, walk away from it because you don't want it to become hackneyed, right? But Doctor Who is a show that can constantly, as we've said, I don't know how many times it, it, it built into its DNA that it can reinvent itself, however the showrunner chooses. Um, And he says he's got ideas. He's always missed it. It's never left him. The ideas are always percolating in the back of his head. And anyone who's heard him speak for more than about two minutes understands how many concurrent thoughts could possibly be rattling around in that skull of his. Um, But he says that um, while he he can't explain anything about how he and and Chris Chibnall, whom he considers a a pretty dear friend, have been talking about the handoff process, and he's not going to go into any of that he he's preparing to take it in all new directions both new directions for him in the way that he's ever treated the show and what he feels to be new ways that the show has told its tale before and i am fascinated to know what is
0: new under the sun (laughs) at at this point i mean the, the budget the thing is with with people like this it's he's been working this whole time. He has been honing his craft. He's been maturing and evolving. So he's got new ways of storytelling and new things that he wants to try. And doctor who is a perfect canvas for experimentation. So, and that, and he's also been watching the show under other showrunners and the things that they've tried, the things that have worked and haven't and things like that. And I'm sure it's given him ideas. So yeah, that he's probably got a, like books full of ideas for what he wants to do with the show now. Mm-hmm. Well, we've heard in
1: his interviews before that he keeps boxes of notebooks with idea, story ideas that he's jotted mm-hmm. down. Because there were times, what was it? It was right in the middle of the first year of the pandemic that he shared a short story that he found. He was like, oh, I forgot, I, ha- I forgot writing this here.
3: <laughs> I like having seen a little bit of a different story style from him. And that mm. is something, I mean for what it's worth, the article being mostly about it's a sin. But I think that it's the the narrative style where he even says it's sort of like you can sit down and watch it as just a very long movie. There's no cliffhangers. It's just one whole story. So it'd be interesting to see if that is something he brings into Doctor Who as well. A little bit more of the narrative, tie them together. I think we're used to cliffhangers and very dramatic moments to Button or string together arcs or mm. storylines, but could you do something that feels a little bit more like an epic and maybe do it threaded a little better than what we got for this past uh, year's flux. season? But I don't know if that's the storytelling style that you wanna go with. I think that that could be something that Doctor Who would maybe benefit from, I'm not saying completely change everything, but right. it's an interesting idea.
1: If anyone could hold the viewer's interest across a a serial sequence like that, you know, a a long-form story, um, without having to worry about getting some sort of pushback on the fact that, well, you didn't didn't close—by the time the credits roll at the end of this episode, nothing's resolved. I don't think anyone is going to begrudge his storytelling style— yeah. for doing that sort of thing, because he's going to figure out a way that's going to make it compelling enough without having to be a big bom bom bomb cliffhanger mm-hmm. as we've sort of been cultivated to expect.
3: As long as I get either good details or a nice theme, I don't need to, oh, they might die. They just got mm-hmm. to the edge of the cliff. What's going <laughs> to happen? ha mm-hmm. ah.
0: Next week, uh next week we're gonna be coming back with our uh our Gallifrey one recap. Yes. As, as we're all kind of sitting here trying to wrap up so that we can go back and get <laughs> on the plane tomorrow. Really true. Uh <laughs> yeah, we're uh we're super excited to to go to a Doctor Who convention again, finally, uh and see some of these. I mean, Manda Gill's gonna be there, Sasha Dewan. I'm excited about this guest list. It is super exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot on the docket. It's going to be a mm-hmm. great schedule. Uh, I'm relying on uh, Jay and Haley to take copious notes in all panels they attend, because I'm going to be in the <laughs> dealer room for the vast majority of the weekend. Um, but I will get uh, evening recaps, and then when we come back, Julie's going to interview the hell out of us, and we have to answer all her questions. So take
0: notes. boo <laughs> <laughs> well, This has been episode 460 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, you know, I think I'm going to go play some paintball i'm definitely going for paintball yeah safe choice and this is Keir saying series
1: 14 theme song
3: la (laughs) this is julie saying what's wrong with saying that you do you want to wager i just i think that's fine i don't always need to bet uh this is haley saying over the top with the effects budget has never been said about a
2: doctor who property
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next week cheers Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. is copyright 2022. See you next week.